Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. We'll take calls with Christopher Garantano next hour. His websites are linked up at coasttocoastam.com. Christopher, in your opinion, what makes a successful horror film? What are the ingredients? You know, there was a, uh, there's only one academic study to answer that question by a guy named uh, David Aldrich. He's a Harvard psychiatrist. When I first heard about this book and the study, I was like, this egghead is not going to figure this out. But he started with a love for it, and he really made a lot of sense. It's like the best, if someone really wants to get into it, get into the formula, because there really is one. It works. I think what makes, number one, a good story, characters that you can care about, number two, and then suspense. I feel like, um, you know, the greatest horror films have suspense, you know, you're, 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 and, and doesn't take too much time uh, spending it with the character and development, just enough, just enough. And then they're, then you're thrusting these people you care about into a dangerous situation or a compromising situation that you feel like you could be in. And so, and then there's a, a variety of other elements. I don't think a horror film should hold back. Do you remember director Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, the shower scene? We never saw the knife actually penetrating the victim, but no, we sure felt it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, I was just watching that the other night. That scene is still, if people can imagine everything that came after that not existing, how brutal that must have been. What was that, 1961? At was least, that? at least, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it, how brutal that scene was in 61. Uh, and how shocked people were when that happened, much like The Exorcist in the early 70s. It's like, you know, people were apparently throwing up. I can understand because there's nothing that vicious and, and powerful. And it's been parodied since then. But that movie still is extremely effective and powerful. And I think uh, people along the way, filmmakers along the way, lost, saw it as a novelty and kind of humorized it too much and missed what worked in those movies and what was so effective. Yeah, it came out in 1960. I think the music, to every time there was a slash scene, that music in the shower, I think that did it too. That was Bernard Herrmann. Yeah, amazing stuff. And it's funny too where, uh, you know, in Hitchcock's The Birds, if you remember, there's no score at all. No music. You're right. you're right. Yeah. When you, when you did the Montauk Chronicles, tell me how much research you had to do for that, because the story itself was amazing. Sure. So I, I read the, uh, the one first book by Preston Nichols, and that was enough for me to, you know, my interest was I wasn't adapting that book. I needed to go forward and start with a, a clean slate and with the idea that I was going to speak to these men and do my own investigation. And uh, what I thought was most fascinating about that story was that Nichols was telling it, that, that, um, that Al Bielik was telling it. So that's what I did. I, went to, I started with visiting those guys. I wanted, to, I wanted to look them in the eyes in their homes when they told me those stories and start there and bring the, my audience to that realm and really make it authentic and uh, connect with these guys. And so that, that was the beginning of it. What would your preference be, Christopher, to do horror documentaries or horror movies? Oh, horror movies, uh, for sure. And I, I have a few 
huge projects coming up. You know, and I've, I've done television now. I've, I had my own series uh, on Travel Channel and then just played on Discovery in the UK. And uh, I have a couple more coming up. But my interest is less hosting and, and, and more uh, making works of fiction into motion pictures. It's always been my interest. It will always be. And so that's, that's where I'm, I'm pushing towards now heavily. Is Hollywood, New York, they starting to open up in terms of production since COVID? This is tough. So I've had several uh, projects that were you know, ready to go uh, from before COVID to now. And because of the lockdown, you know, uh, there was one company in New York, another company in Los Angeles, and it was, it's, the ground is so shaky right now. It's unstable. So as soon as they're ready to go forward on something, uh, you know, a new rule is put down or a change or we retract, uh, you know, the release of everybody back out because the disease is getting worse, apparently. So that is, uh, it's uncertain at the moment, but I have one project that's greenlit and um, I, I'm fortunate enough to have that at the moment. So we'll see what happens next. Tell us about In Ink. What is that? So, it, so In Ink is uh, an independent picture so I can have control over the story. And it's something that I wrote uh, last fall, right after I was done promoting Strange World, which was my show on travel. That was and the travel I, show, that's right. Yes. And then Inc. is about a young woman named Andromeda Stevens. She's the daughter of a famous science fiction writer. And her mother went from being on the level of a J.K. Rawlings you know, with this beloved fan base, she wrote these adventure science fiction novels, but decided, and it was important, to become a whistleblower. She believed that there was a government-born disease, not only in her blood at the moment, but in her daughter's blood, and that it was killing a lot of people. So she revealed it and started writing these anti-establishment essays. Didn't go over well with her fan base. Her complete total world was crushed, and she ended up dying from the disease and her daughter was left alone. And so in ink begins with her daughter Andromeda deciding whether or not she wants to live, listening to her favorite radio show, The Riot Hour, which is much like Coast to Coast, mm-hmm. little, you know, uh, radical ideas thrown in. And um, she decides to go forward and live and continue her mother's work. But we don't know if what she's experiencing is only partial truth. And it goes into the realm of extremely uh, you know, off-the-hook science fiction in the, a la you know, David Cronenberg in the early 80s. And um, she believes she's seen assassins and androids and human skin and all of these things. And I don't want the audience to know whether or not these things are real in her world until the very end. And that's the story in short. That's, that's fantastic. Tell me a little bit about your work about George Romero, who was uh, an amazing a film producer and director and put together Night of the Living Dead. And he created the zombie culture, didn't he? He did. And that he, he, he claims that he was inspired by Richard Matheson's, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, I Am Legend, which was also the movie with Vincent Price, Last Man on Earth. So it was kind of, Night of the Living Dead was a bit of a remake of that. Uh, but George... Actually, I met George, and he reached out to me because I was lucky enough to have met him at a venue where my first documentary was playing. I handed him a copy of the DVD kindly and never thought I would hear anything from him. And 
he actually wrote to me and then he called me, invited me to the set of Diary of the Dead, which I went to, spent some time with him and shot about seven hours of footage with him, really good stuff of him directing, and having a great conversation with him. We stayed in touch by email and um, unfortunately passed away a few years ago. Uh, but I, uh, I've been sitting on this footage for years. I never really shared it with anybody. And I was sitting here as soon as we went into lockdown. You know, I had a buddy from high school that died from this. And it really became so strikingly terrifying to me that I didn't, I, for a while, sitting here by myself in my home, I thought that I wasn't just like a good deal of us. There's a chance we might not make it. They were saying that this was on the packages being sent to our homes. And it was so contagious that if, you know, you, you, you touched a package that came. Oh, jeez. So. Uh, Sounds like I, now. <laughs> yeah. Like right now. Yeah. It keeps coming back for some reason. Uh, and so I was, I was afraid and I was reflecting on George's work, especially even, you know, some of the ideas in his films at the time when they first came out and most of it, feels like fiction, uh, even like a movie like, uh, and it's not a Romero film, but The Purge. When I came out, I thought it was ridiculous. I was like, there's no way people would behave like this if given permission. Now I believe it's, uh, it, it's very real, you know? Um, they don't even need permission. You know, people, we're, losing, we're losing grasp for a little while. Hopefully this ends good. But a lot of the, the fiction and horror that I grew up watching, and even some in recent years, seems to be coming to fruition right yeah, now. Absolutely. And so George was commenting on things in subtext. And I thought the world right now, if he was here, he would write his greatest film. It, he would, with what's going yeah. on. For sure. And, and all of his films, especially the, the Of the Dead films, collectively were about this. So... This is kind of a metaphysical documentary about me retreating, you know, into the things that comforted me in my, my childhood, like Romero films and special effects makeup and all of that. But I can't, I can't escape it because it's here in my face now. So all of the televisions in my home are all playing, this, you know, the city's burning and news about this disease and spreading and people dying. And I'm here watching footage of George that I shot and looking back. Uh, and, and that's part of it, but... It's something that's, you know, I felt compelled to make, and I really, uh, I really poured myself into. So hopefully, uh, when I share it with everybody, they, uh, they find a, a good thing. And you've got a, a novel coming out in October, don't you? Uh, graphic novel, yeah. It's um, called South Texas Blues. It's, um, it's this kind of fantastic vision of uh, director Toby Hooper in 1973. Very well researched, but I wrote it. Through his eyes, you know, what I what I felt a 30 year old uh, movie maker in 1973 who hasn't had a hit, who needs to make a buck, uh, ended up making the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh my about God. that summer, that crazy summer, him making that film and all of the things that happened on set. What a wild movie that was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it was. It was insane. And that's see, here's another thing. So what? Are, what? Are, what a powerful horror movie, and a movie that's lasted, we're, we're talking almost 50 years. It, it becomes so, a cult thing, doesn't it? Yes, yeah, around the world. And, and, and so everything that happened that summer, you know, the, the heat, the Texas heat, no AC in that house, rotting meat on the table, all of that oh. lent to the intensity of the end of that film. And if there is a formula for making a great horror film, that's kind of like facing those elements all together, understanding 
uh, and, and letting that permeate onto the screen, letting people be affected and understanding how to capture that and, and deal with it in post-production. What's the worst horror film you've ever seen, Christopher? That's a tough one. You know, because I like a lot of, see, I like some charming garbage, so, uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know, the worst horror film? Some of them in recent years, I think, have really missed the note. They, they kind of, I don't know, I don't know what happened. Why, would, why was the Rocky Horror Picture film such a huge cult following? I never got into that. So, yeah, I, I was living in New York City in the 90s, and I would go to midnight shows of it. I think it's just, it's audience participation. The and, camaraderie uh, of the, the audience together and all that. It's one of the, and it's also, I call them long night pictures. So one is Night of the Living Dead, another one is Evil Dead, another one is Rocky Horror Picture Show. It takes course of one night. As one long night. I think that's another fascination where you're kind of going through this journey in one night. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.